one of the advantages of being in a peer cohort that is vetted, so everybody is kind of in an established place in their career, is this element of empathy that, that you suddenly realize that you compare how you feel on the inside with how everybody looks on the outside. So you get this great lens of like, wow, I'm, I'm actually not alone. And from that empathy really comes confidence is that you're realizing I'm not the only person that's struggling. I can go for these things. And, and with confidence comes like higher salaries, comes more promotions and comes, you know, this sense of feeling kind of supported and empowered to make those really bold, audacious moves in your career. Welcome back to the Kelly Lower Podcast. I'm your host, a business mentor, personal brand strategist, on a mission to inspire a minimum of five people a day to take action, do something different, and show up as the best person that they aspire to be. Keep all your messages coming every week. The messages on Instagram, Kelly Lundberg Official, come and say hi. And those that leave a review on Apple Podcasts, it really makes a difference to not only my day, but the guest day, and it just makes their podcast even more visible. So thank you so much, and thank you for being one of my five a day. Today's guest is an explorer at heart. Yolanda has built a career upon the principle of broadening an ever-expanding comfort zone, and we explore this so much in this um, particular episode. And this philosophy that she has took her around the world, chalking up experiences as diverse as touring the world as a production assistant for a major uh, record label, winning a department prize at Oxford and opening retail stores across the US for near uh, and opening retail stores across the US for cult brand American Power and opening retail stores across the US for the early 2000 cult brand American Apparel. Her most recent chapter took her to building three tech unicorn companies from the ground up, Uber, Deliveroo and Rocket Internet across places like the sub-Saharan African desert. Her most recent chapter took her to building three tech unicorn companies from the ground up. So think Uber, Deliveroo and Rocket Internet. She's worked in places in Africa, the Middle East, and APAC. And after nearly a decade in leadership positions in tech, she started to become really wary. And again, this is a huge focus on the um, podcast that we have today about the lack of female leaders as she moved up the ladder, especially in the tech environment. And she started to work on an invite-only intimate dinner for women leaders a third space between the home and work to share honest opinions in a supportive environment. And this would be the catalyst that motivated Yolanda to found Uncommon, Asia's first private network for female leaders designed to help them connect and thrive in positions of power. We talked about challenges faced not only in tech, but so many in leadership and ways to overcome this. Enjoy the episode. Let me know what you think. Don't forget to leave a review. If you're listening to this on YouTube, um, please leave a comment. And if you are if you are watching this on YouTube, don't forget to leave a comment below. And if you're listening to it on podcast, please leave a review. Hi, Yolanda. It's great to have you here today. Welcome to the Kelly Limber podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for staying up late because it's a little bit later for you. You're in Singapore, isn't it? Yes, I am. I am. It's uh, it's just uh, pre-dinner time. Yeah. 
Ah, oh, it's not it's not the middle of the night then. No. So I'd love for you to give a little bit of an intro as to why we've invited you on the podcast today. Some of the things that we're talking about. I'm really looking forward to delving into um, your backstory, what got you to Singapore. Because for those that are listening, we're probably thinking she doesn't sound like she's from Singapore. So maybe over to you and and give a little bit of a backstory. Yeah, happy to. So I um I'm born and raised in Toronto, Canada. I'm kind of the the kind of classic kid of immigrants. My family are from uh, a little island off the coast of South America called Trinidad and Tobago, or two islands, Trinidad and Tobago. Nice, yeah. I think I'm someone that like always wanted to to have an adventurous kind of global career, but I had no idea how I was going to do that. I, you know, had no no real plan. I didn't know anyone who had done that, but it's definitely something I've I've um, yeah I, I've kind of channeled through through my career. So. Um, have lived and worked now in about 10 different countries across the UK, Europe. I spent uh, three years in sub-Saharan Africa. And then now I've been based out of uh, out of Singapore and kind of working across the Asia Pacific region. Today we're, um, we're here chatting a little bit about, you know, my own journey, I think, from, you know, working in, in big tech to founding my own company to really moving towards uh, more more kind of purpose-driven uh, work. So I'm really, really happy to be chatting with you today. Brilliant. Let's start with what it is that you're working on right now. I think let's start with that and then we can pinpoint backwards the points to that. Yeah, happy happy to uh, dig into that. So I am the founder and CEO of Uncommon. Uncommon is a, a private professional network for women in established leadership positions. And this is really born out of my own experience as a female leader. I found it incredibly uh, isolating once you get to more senior positions to actually connect with uh, people who really understood some of the, the unique challenges that you face as a, a female leader and, and kind of build a little bit of a, our, own, our own club, our own playbook for, for how we move forward. It began as a uh, dinner series for, for women in Singapore, and it kind of grew from there. So we offer everything from kind of a peer cohort learning. So you get your kind of personal advisory board that's led by an executive coach to really help you kind of delve deeper. Then we run a, a series of kind of learning and development workshops and and community events for everything from kind of dinner series to industry huddles to uh, one-on-one matching. So when you first had your first dinner, did you know that you always have the idea that you wanted to take it to this level? I think I always wanted had like the broad idea that I wanted to to launch my own business. I had worked for kind of three really fast growing tech companies at early stages of of their um, their growth, but I knew I wanted to do it for myself. When I started the dinner, I had no idea though. It was really kind of born out of my own uh, need that 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 I found kind of leadership very isolating and. I didn't have a space where I could kind of talk really candidly about about some of the challenges I was facing and, and kind of let down that guard a little bit. And so when I started the dinner, I had, I had no idea what it would kind of turn into, but it was really seeing that traction, seeing that, you know, the repeat customers kind of come back. And they weren't really customers, they're just attendees. Then I thought that maybe there was something something there. And who, so how does it work? Does the attendee, they pay for it? Or is it something that corporate organizations would get you in to support 
the female leadership team because it's it's female driven I, I think is that right it's all female yeah yeah at the moment it, it's a focus on on women but uh yeah so currently we started off with really being focused on um individuals paying themselves now I think now that we've like you know been around for more than a year we have a bit of a track record we uh, are working with corporate partners as well who will kind of send us their um, kind of director level or VP level female leaders, yeah. To give them that platform and the space, I guess, for for them to come and share, you know, what's working, what isn't working. You know, how, how does yeah. that format work for you? Yeah, so I, so how, it's, it's also, I think, about kind of outsourcing that learning and development. And also not every company can kind of turn around and, you know, hire a bunch of other, you know, more, more diverse leadership team that takes, takes time. But I think that they're able to kind of drive retention by ensuring that, you know, some of their, their underrepresented uh, leadership team can have that kind of safe space to go to, can, can feel a little bit less isolated as well. Is the reason, you know, because I've not spent time in the corporate world, you know, I, I, I that's why I only know the entrepreneurial space. So I really love the conversations where I'm educated on what it's like actually going through the, the, the corporate space. And you were particularly in this sort of the tech driven spaces of the likes of Uber, Deliveroo, like all kind of that, that space. Is it that it's all male driven or is it techs especially attracts uh, men or and what was that sort of journey like for, for you? Yeah, great question. I definitely think there's an element of tech being incredibly male-driven, but I see this across, we're actually industry agnostic. So we, I see this with women in finance, with women in law, in shipping, and you know, all sorts of industries. In general, you kind of, in a lot of markets, you'll see a 50-50 split at entry level, but by the time you get to more senior leadership, you know, that, that number is less than 10%. So, and you see this across yeah. most industries. For my own personal journey, I was often one of the, the few female leaders in, in my role. And, and for instance, in some, some roles, I was the only female country manager, I think, out of 40 countries that we were in. And, uh, and you know, there's, there's different, different approaches to it. For me, it was a lot of like, okay, how am I going to like out alpha all of these al- alpha males, which, which wasn't necessarily my actually like authentic way of leading. And I think we are sort of in this like transformation right now where, where there is a bigger focus on like, how can you actually lead and, and be the person that you want to be at the same time? And that was my experience was it actually felt very disjointed from who I was, but I, I had to like behave in a certain way to actually be, be taken seriously. And that, that could be feel incredibly alienating, but also sometimes you don't yield the same results. Like there's, there's a lot of research behind the fact that, you know, women, women who behave exactly the same way as men, you'll be branded as kind of aggressive. Um, and, you know, there's, there's an inverse relationship with likability in the corporate world, the more kind of direct you are. And so you're constantly kind of walking this tightrope where you're trying to be you know, assertive and speak your mind, but you're also trying not to be penalized for that at the same time. So someone's listening to this because it's it's all things that I've heard, but I've never been privy to it myself being in that space. What would your advice be if you were mentoring someone that they were in that sort of position of you? Like, how do you authentically keep building your personal brand, but not let the stereotypical, oh, I can't be like this or I need to be more like this? Like, how would you mentor someone through that process? 
Yeah, that's a that that's a really good um, point. So some, uh, firstly, I think it's about choosing environments that and cultures that are that are really right for you. And I think that there are companies that are are really great at at attracting uh, at attracting diverse talent that that they have thought about this kind of with intent. Then secondly, it's about about having kind of the confidence. I think a lot of it actually has to do with with that sort of inner work in yourself. And, and, you know, in my case, I think there is this element of insecurity and that you you have to kind of show up like somebody else. And, and, and maybe that is a, a response to, to kind of feeling like you don't belong. But I think if you can feel like, like I understood from a very young age that if I was going to achieve all the things I wanted to achieve, I was going to have to get used to the fact that I'm going to walk into rooms where nobody looks like me, where nobody has my life experience, but my voice still matters. I still belong there. And so learning to kind of belong to yourself is, I think, a really, and this is something like we work on a lot at Uncommon, is a really key factor. Then there's also like, you know, the kind of tips and tricks side of things. Like, you know, when you do get feedback, the more practical side, when you do get feedback, for instance, that you know, you're, I, I've had a performance review that said I was like not assertive enough, but also too aggressive. <laughs> and so, you know, like kind of grounding that. Yeah, I know. You're just sort of like, okay, thank you. Um, <laughs> but grounding that and being like, okay, well, too aggressive compared to whom? Am I too aggressive compared to this person on the team? Am I too aggressive? Um, you know, or not assertive enough compared, again, compare, you need to kind of benchmark it. And, 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 and and ask for those specific examples because I think forcing forcing people to kind of think about it in comparison to other people on the team can help as well. I would also just say that knowing what what your boundaries are, like how you're willing willing to behave and how you're not willing to behave, and and assessing organizations kind of based on that as well. I, I really like that yeah. um, that tip that you give ask for specific examples. And I do think that that's in, in any space that you're working in, even if you were an entrepreneur, you know, asking a client, why didn't you want to go ahead with it? Or what was it that put you off? Or um, is there anything I can help with? Because getting that feedback is only going to yeah, help you definitely. grow as a person, but grow in business as well. A question there I had is it's, again, the entrepreneur versus the corporate one of the things that you would do if you were uncomfortable or learning was is hire a mentor or a coach. Is that something that was that that you did in the corporate career or that was supported? Because I know that this is kind of what you're doing now to support that. But was that there for you or was it not, which is why you've decided to do it? Yes. Um it's exact that's exactly why. I did work with um with a coach in my last role and that I just saw how it really helped me to kind of work through and clarify like some of the, yeah, some of the challenges I had, but it was also so um, prohibitive in pricing for so many people. And, and it actually means that, okay, you can only get that level of support when you're in this, like, maybe your company sponsors it uh. or you're in this very senior role. And, and actually we see the biggest drop off in most markets women in their careers are their, are their 30s. And so if we're trying to live in a world where, where women and other underrepresented groups, you know, really make more decisions and are part of more decisions, then we need to kind of start a little bit earlier. And so a big part of, of what we do is also democratizing access to really top level 
um, leadership coaching before women have kind of dropped off the pipeline? Because normally when, when I see people go through the transition, um, when I'm working with clients, they tend to be sort of late 30s or in their 40s because they're like, right, you know what, I've had enough, I'm leaving the corporate space. Whereas I suppose if you can get them the support in their early 30s, it will get them through the next part of the the next evolution of their career and their 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 brand of, of I guess, of who, who they're going to be. Yeah. But that wasn't a nice uh, sort of tie into one of my questions, which was what can companies do? Oh, to, so much. <laughs> to do it. So, yeah. So I think one of the things that companies can do is get a mentor or a coach in for the, the team, but earlier than the sort of the se- more senior level. Yeah. Um, there's so much that companies can do. I think it starts not from these kind of band-aid solutions like having an unconscious bias training on International Women's Day. Um, it's really about looking holistically, like end-to-end, from recruitment till when somebody churns, and almost approaching it like in tech, we talk about like an, a customer life cycle where you map out all of the touch points throughout the customer journey. Well, you have to think of it, your employees, like your customers and how do you map out all of those touch points and actually think of those touch points in with a broader lens of of the, what do those touch points look like for women what do they look like for trans people what do you know and looking at are are all of those touch points actually taking into consider that into consideration that level of inclusivity so for instance like a big challenge a lot I see with, with a lot of companies is that they don't like as soon as somebody you know is pregnant, which is a, not all women you know want to have families, but like it is still a life stage that a lot of women go through, and um, and like having policies around that, you know what what does promotion look like when somebody is um, is pregnant or on mat leave? There's so little thought around that, and 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 women kind of become an afterthought. But we just kind of need to normalize. The, the touch points that uh, or, or kind of normal normal experience for experiences for women we need to kind of normalize that in the workplace because many workplaces were kind of designed before women were ever in the workplace is it something that you're looking at doing with uncommon at the moment it's supporting the individual and supporting <laughs> in a community uh, do you have that extension or the potential to go into organizations and say right, we can come and consult on this and support you through the next steps. Yeah, that's definitely on, uh, on you know, in terms of my bigger vision, that to me is, is, you know, the bigger piece of the puzzle because, of course, a lot of these challenges are structural and they, t- they have, t- you know, barely inched forward in that, you know, when you look at it from sort of a data standpoint, whether that's gender pay gap or the leadership gap, you know, it, it, it hasn't been hasn't been the fastest of progress. Um, so definitely kind of working on a systemic level is really important. But to me, a lot of those big changes happen when you have more women represented at, at the table and really making those decisions and giving that viewpoint and using their, their voices. So kind of thinking of, okay, how do we actually get more women making those decisions who can also help to facilitate those really big structural changes uh, that need to happen. Well, what have been some of the success stories then that have come from the the women coming to the you know your your dinners, then being part of the community? That had you not been there, they wouldn't have 
achieved or got through? What is there some of the things that you can share? Yeah. So one of the advantages of being in a peer cohort that is is vetted, so everybody is owning budgets, leading teams, kind of in an established place in their career, is this element of empathy that that you suddenly realize that you compare how everybody else, how you feel on the inside with how everybody looks on the outside. So you get this great lens of like, wow, I'm, I'm actually um, not alone. And from that empathy really comes confidence is that you're realizing I'm not the only person that's struggling. I can go for these things. And, and with confidence comes like higher salaries, comes more promotions and comes, you know, the sense of feeling kind of supported and em- empowered to make those really bold, audacious moves in your career. And that's what I've, I've kind of witnessed across the communities is the, the impact of actually being able to not be on this island and think you're the only person there. Because I think is what, what you're doing is as much as you've been through the corporate journey and you've stepped out and now started Uncommon and your own business, that's not what the answer is for everyone. Right. And it's also about making sure that there is a very much a space for senior women within organizations rather than the frustrations of going, I've had enough of this and I'm going to go and do it on my own. There's so much that they can bring to the table, so to speak, of of support, but, but growth and knowledge. And like, I mean, you'll know that more than, than anything else. So yeah. what are some of the, the ways that women can keep going in this space? Joining your sort of community, but any other suggestions that you would sort of say? In terms of, yeah, staying on that track, I think that the, there is kind of a mindset shift that I see women who like keep progressing in you mm-hmm. know male-dominated dom- industries. One is just stopping to be apologetic and ask for permission for everything. I see a lot of that, like just partially because of the way women are socialized, but the, there's this tendency to like, be sorry that you're pregnant or be sorry that, you know, that you're not taking on all this Ethical. additional work. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so, so or planning, run and do this, yeah. that, or planning the office Christmas party, which like has no promotable kind of, you know, value or anything like that. So I think <laughs> those that, um, that, yeah, the do move forward have become really great and not just sort of defaulting and being kind of apologetic and and that's something I see a lot of in um particularly in this region in Asia Pacific and so so kind of learning to kind of take back that power is really important I would say and also just having a strong network I think uh women particularly women in these you know senior leadership positions have far weaker in terms of kind of the breadth in terms of the strength of their network which is data from LinkedIn um but, you know, they have these, the boys club has existed for centuries, but we don't have that same sort of like, you know, power exchange or that sense of like, of, you know, I can go to these people and they're going to kind of open, open doors and create opportunities for me. So we wanted to kind of create that with uh, Uncommon. And it's so important, the more senior you get to really have like a solid network. So you've started this in Singapore and it's it's in-person connections. You know, what about, is there the, the steps to um, take it global? Like, where, yeah. where does it go next? Because I know you've just said you've rounded up, uh, you've finished one round of uh, funding. Is that right? We're not fully finished. We're not finished yet, but we will be uh, closing it quite soon. Yeah. 
Awesome. So what's ne- the next steps? Like, can you make this global? Is that where the where it's going? Definitely. Singapore is a, a fantastic market to test something out. It's a, it's a small market. But yeah, it's like just really great for us to iron things out, learn a lot. You know, that first first year of a, of a startup journey, we definitely have ambitions to be uh, expanding for, you know, there's I really believe that women are kind of the the largest underserved working population. And so how can we, um, you know, address their needs and and really build products for them that are where they're really a a feature and not a a bug. And so, so yeah, definitely where we already do have a lot of members outside of, um, of Singapore, we do have a virtual membership as well. So a lot of our core sessions, yeah. A lot of our core coaching sessions like are done virtually. And that's something we we really see our members actually want is that to to be a leader in this kind of globalized world, you really do need a solid international network. When you're in Dubai for business, you know, it's great to be able to tap into and have dinner with like incredible people who can also help to unlock opportunities. So that's really, you know, the direction that we're headed in as well. What were some of the experiences that you learned from corporate that that have actually really benefited you into the entrepreneurial space? Oh, so many. I, I think I was really lucky uh, to have, you know, been in these roles, which gave me a lot of responsibility, but also I made a lot of mistakes. I made a lot of mistakes and I learned so much for that from that. Firstly, I would say, you know, having an incredible team in place will and really taking the time to get the right people in place is so key. Yeah. Sometimes when you're in a startup, you know, you just you just want a body so that you can take take some work off your plate. But like I I think learning to kind of resist that temptation and really get, you know, like just the top top team in place. And and that doesn't necessarily mean like someone's incredible on paper, but someone with that the right attitude who's going and who's willing to kind of go the extra mile, like that will and, and you can adapt because there's so much so much of like being in a startup is is also knowing how to adapt and and so that that's definitely a learning I took with me. Focus is another big one. You know, sometimes the whole team or you can get or your investors can pull you in so many different directions, but you have limited resource and little limited time and really understanding like what the nice to haves are and what the kind of mission critical are is really important. And then lastly, really thinking through the lens of, and this is something I learned at Uber, really thinking through the lens of return on effort. Um, you've got to kind of be really, yeah, ruthless in your prioritization. And, and so thinking about everything like, you know, how much effort is going to go into this and how much return is going to go into this and, and, and sort of working back from there. Have you ever read the book Effortless? I haven't. No, no. Yeah, it could be one that you might find quite interesting if that's something that's resonated with you and you've brought that to the next part of your your journey and, and a business journey. I think his name is Greg McEwen. He was also the author of Essentialism, but I really enjoyed. Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah, I really enjoyed his book Effortless because it was about, well, how can we do something but do it really well once, but then we don't need to do it again. And it's not... He was just about educating people on or educating on the mindset that it's not about being lazy. It's about that return on investment, I guess, very well put. That, yeah. that uh, How can you make the most of it? Yeah, that's definitely something I think I carried with me throughout, you know, all my schooling and everything. I think people, 
maybe were somewhat frustrated with me. I was never the hardest worker, but I was definitely the smartest worker. And I remember I, I went to Oxford for grad school and people would be so frustrated because I'd never, you know, do all the readings, but I would only do the ones that, that we really needed to know or were on the exam. And, and they'd always be frustrated. I'd be like in London at a, at a party <laughs> and then still finish top of my class. But, but I think that that's such an important skill to have is just really knowing how to work smart, especially as an entrepreneur. It's not about putting in the most hours. I still, you know, set a lot of boundaries around that. I know that it's a marathon and not a sprint. And yeah. I think it's probably a lot of people are guilty of that. There has been a shift, I think, you know, being 20 years in business. So, you know, in the past four or five years, I think there has been much more uh, a shift on, you know, look after yourself. You know, it's it's not worth putting, you know, all the hours in to to damage your mental health and, and your well-being and everything to do with that. Um, how supportive do you think organizations are? Have you seen, is it just me or you've seen the shift in what companies are doing with that as well? I've seen a mixed, mixed review, um, to be honest. Um, I think it's not as, I think everyone's got kind of a well-being program, but I, I think it's not as simple as just like giving your employees like a yoga membership or, or something. You know, but then kind of overworking them and understaffing your team and expecting the same <laughs> results. So I've seen some of that, like where it's kind of like, hey, we do well-being stuff, but but actually it needs to be kind of built into um, to the culture. I also just think it's, you know, in the world of kind of quiet quitting and with the pandemic, there was a lot of competition for talent, in, in, at least in the region. When I work in, you know, there's, and, and in the sectors I work in, um, in startups, it's very competitive for talent. So I also just think like to, to the credit maybe of, of Gen Z is that they, they are just willing to take less of what, um, of what maybe, you know, my generation or earlier generations were, were willing to, or could get away with. Like I think about, you know, I finished uni like just after the financial crisis and like everybody was doing like unpaid internships and it was you'd, you'd be grinding until you know 2 a.m and that i don't think you can get away with anymore because it's just not the demand for that but but i think in a post-financial crisis world there there kind of was i think that that's really the aspect and i think now a lot of i don't know in the tech space but certainly in a lot of you know, industries with the remote working that covid is sort of brought People are now actually going, well, if you don't give me the option to work from home X amount of days, I'm not taking the job. Yeah. Like, I think there's been a big shift in that space. Yeah. That possibly uh, from your perspective, there needs to be a lot more than introducing a well-being program <laughs> or uh, let me develop, a, you know, even just the work from home. Like It needs to be so much more than that to develop a more sustainable, effortless lifestyle, I think, for, for both parties. Yeah, definitely. And and even like with my team, we're kind of thinking about, you know, I do think we're going through one of the biggest shifts in whatever you want to call it, though, the world of work, the future of work that we've seen really since the industrial revolution. And so, you know, there's a lot of opportunity to kind of de- rewrite that and define that. And even for us as a team, we're thinking, okay, we want to be at the cusp of, um, of the future of work. A lot of my team, you know, work out of Thailand, out of Indonesia. And, and it is more than just, oh, we all are on Zoom now and we're doing the same things we're doing in an office. It's actually, okay, what does, 
what does flexibility look like? And also, you know, a majority of my team are, are women. Like, how do we actually design a workplace that that's really conducive to to women and normalizes a lot of the experiences of women? And so that's something, you know, a work in process that, that we're looking at as well. Do you think that the whole work from home culture is uh, remote working is a good thing? Or do you think that it's something that, you know, no, we need to get back into more of that sort of office environment? I think that it comes with challenges. I can say that. Um, But I think that it is a good thing. I think that firstly, you know, it gives you access to like talent, you know, that's maybe outside of your market. And that's pretty incredible, particularly as a as a startup founder, um, you know, with a build, building a team. So that's fantastic. I think that people that moving away from just kind of counting hours and, and presenteeism. Yeah. I think that's a good thing. I don't think we just need to kind of waste people hours or have them be sitting in the office kind of, you know, trying to, to show face and be there. But the flip side of that is, you know, there's so much, there's so many great things that come from being together in the same space of, you know, how you build trust in a team. Some things can just like quickly be resolved. You know, if there's any friction in the team, like I find that can be quite tricky is like actually diffusing that is harder. Like sometimes if, you know, you don't see eye to eye with someone on something, you can just have a quick conversation and, you know, it's, it's off the table. But sometimes if you're, remote you have to talk over slack or you you know there's just those moments and that sort of cohesion i think we have it we don't fully have the tools quite yet to replace those in-person moments and so i think i think there are a lot of examples of companies who are doing it well who maybe have been remote for a very long time but i think that it's not as simple as like okay we've moved all our in-person meetings to Zoom. We've got to think about actually how do we work best. It's not like, for instance, with my team, we might not like, is it really useful for everybody to get on Zoom and brainstorm? Or is it better that we all in the next uh, 48 hours put our ideas onto a working doc and then get on a call for 15 minutes actually to to decide on what we want to do? Or so so there's um just like changing your actual work practices that I think we haven't aren't necessarily fully thought through yet. I've seen a big movement in the personal development world when I've listened to podcasts and a lot of the companies or people that, that own the businesses in that space um, are saying to their employees, the holidays don't exist. You can take as many or as little as you want. And they're really putting the the onus on, like I'd never heard this before. And then I heard it in a few podcasts and we're like, yeah, we don't give our team any holidays it's up to them if they want to take nine weeks they can take nine weeks or two weeks or whatever it is have you heard this as well yeah I have Um, a lot of tech companies actually have these policies but there's actually a lot of research behind the fact that people end up taking less (laughs) because yeah yeah, I know so people take less because unless it's really modeled by senior leadership that they're actually you know taking that time off then it ends up that if it's not a set allocation, you don't actually feel like you you have it. And so every every you know week that you take off, every every um, every day you take off is like is kind of like taking you into a negative balance. Whereas if you think of it as like oh, kind of from abundance, like okay, I have these twenty days or 20, 25 days or whatever you know whatever it is, 
then you feel like, oh, that's like credit I have that I need to use before the end of the year. And so it's a kind of a psychological difference when it's like, oh, you, you, it's technically unlimited, but you don't have this kind of like credit that you're, you're kind of using in a way. Yeah, it's quite interesting because I remember years ago, as when I used to be cabin crew, that was uh, my uh, transition. Wow. Uh, and um, that's what brought me to the Middle East was a, a job with Emirates Airline. But one of the things that I used to come across a lot was crew would be like, oh, I'm taking a sick day. It was very easy in the old days to take a sick day as crew. You would just call and you would press one or two and you didn't even have to speak to anyone. It, it was that simple. Wow. So people used to say to me, oh, I've got 25 sick days or 10 sick days or whatever it is. I'm entitled to them. And I think the thing that always bothered me a little bit was the entitlement to having them so you take them. And I always thought then it was quite interesting that in our group of people that had uh, joined Emirates at that particular time, only two of us got promoted because everyone else had super extended sick days. So oh, wow. I get the balance of where it's the negative, the, the negative that, you know, if you don't have them, then it, it, there is that feeling. But then there's also a group of people out there that are like, well, I'm totally entitled to these and I'm just going to take them because I feel like I need to take them. For sure. Yeah. yeah. With six days. Yeah. I've definitely seen, seen that. Um, yeah. That element. And, and I, I find it like, I, I understand maybe why some markets have like men kind of allocated sick days, but I think it, it is something different than, than a vacation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Where it's like, you want to be able to plan. But, but I totally, yeah. I mean, in Singapore, you have 14 days. And I remember at one of the companies I worked for, we did, we kind of pulled the data across the region. And, and I think that like people took like 5x sick days in Singapore than they did in our other markets. And, um, and we saw like on rainy days and on Mondays and Fridays, we had like a way higher, <laughs> higher incidence of sick days. Like, <laughs> so when when it was crew days, it would always be a ladies' night, which in Dubai was a Tuesday night, and it was the weekend, and it would be a Saturday night because people didn't want to do the night flights and stuff like that. Wow. But again, it's that sort of like ownership on the days and how people perceive them and take them. Sick days is one thing, and holidays is another. But yeah, that wow. ownership is really interesting. And um, right, I'd love to finish up. I mean, there's so much more. I think I've really enjoyed the conversation of looking at it from a different lens through the corporate space into the entrepreneurial world. And this is something that you said it's it's new for you coming into it. What are the, some of the things that you're doing to build awareness to be, I guess, you know, more known in what it is that you do to attract people to uncommon yeah. and beyond? Yeah. So uh, this is a a challenge area, I think like kind of out of my my personal comfort zone i think i initially you know would just we just ran off of referrals we had like our inner circle of members and then they would refer other members and it kind of grew organically like that um yeah in terms of what we do so a lot of kind of visibility pieces and and i've had to kind of step into my own visibility my own brand as a as a founder, and you know, my entire team will probably say that they're, that I really don't like, uh, or, or it's not that I don't like, but I um, I had to let go of like a, a certain level of perfectionism on personal brand. Like, oh, I would write these things for LinkedIn and then not post them, or you know, get get really uncomfortable doing interviews. Um, so I think building that muscle actually, because I do think it's actually easier to build 
a personal brand as a founder initially yeah. and kind of build your company brand as well. We, you know, we kind of look at the uncommon woman and we look at, okay, where, where does she exist? Like who, who is she? You know, where does she work out? Where, what does she do in her free time? And from that, we kind of build a bit of a strategy um, around that, whether that's, you know, through socials, whether that's through partnerships, whether that's, you know, hitting her at her company. Um, So all of these kind of channels have been really great for us. Um, We are also kind of building out more content marketing, establishing our thought leadership as a brand as well. So that's, that's all been kind of part of what we do. So how can people find out about you on your LinkedIn, on the post that hopefully you're going to post? And um, how can they find out about Uncommon? Where, where is the best place to, to reach out to you and the, the team? Yeah, so um, to reach out to uh, me and the team would be uh, going to www.heyuncommon.com. So H-E-Y-U-N-C-O-M-M-O-N.com slash apply. For me, the best place to reach me uh, is on my LinkedIn, and we can probably uh, share that after. I'll put that all yeah. in the note. Great, yeah, great. absolutely. I've really loved, um, you know, learning more about the space and, you know, supporting and empowering women through this sort of, I guess, what would you call it? Not the next evolution, the next journey, or what What, what do you call it in this space? Yeah, we we really call it... I. I guess the the not not so much the the next generation. I would say we're really looking to kind of transform leadership itself, and so so that's kind of that that phase is that we're we we want to be those kind of captains of the ship that that is this this monumental shift in kind of leadership in the future of work and and uh, yeah, and we're hoping to bring along a lot of incredible women with us. Yeah. And, and doing it unapologetically. That was one of exactly. the words that I wrote down and I thought, I really like that uh, that terminology. So yeah. awesome. Thank you so much for being part of the show. It was great to talk to you and uh, look forward to hearing more. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Did you enjoy this episode? If you did, then please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. This is how more people can hear about the amazing stories and guests that we have on here. Even better, you can also share this on social media. Screenshot it and share it on your Instagram or on your Facebook or on your Twitter account. The more people that see these episodes, the more awareness it brings to small businesses and those that are trying to make an impact and difference. And if you want to know more about how you can develop your personal brand, then check out our new website brand new creators designed by our in-house team and we are in the business of helping you to increase your online visibility build industry authority lead change motivate and profit who doesn't want that i look forward to speaking to you soon until next time bye